Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Um, scared to death, we're here. How many of you have been here uh, for at least part of the series? Raise your hand real quick. You've been here for at least one or two. How many of you, this is your first week of this series? You're like, awesome. You, wow. Yeah. Y'all need to get caught up. Go online. You can watch for free. You can go get a free CD in the back. We are talking about the fears in life, and these are the worst fears that you can possibly have. The fears that drive your decision making those fears that are those unhealthy fears that alter the way you think the way you feel and the way you respond to life those are the fears that ultimately when you respond react and live out of those fears you always end up literally scared to death because when i talk to people and i get into their story and i get into their mess or what they got themselves into most of the time you can trace it back to a decision that they made out of fear And because of that fearful decision, fearful decisions always lead to negative consequences. Can I get a, can I get a what, what? Yeah. When you think about your sad story, trace it back far enough. What you'll find is this, is that somewhere along the line, I was afraid. And because I was afraid, and maybe some of us on a subconscious level, we did do something that we shouldn't have do, or we didn't do something that we should have done. It goes either way. And again, when we make decisions based out of fear, we end up scared to death because we end up living a life of negative consequences and bad outcomes. And so here's the deal. I don't know if you know this or not, but God actually wants you to be free of fear. God never, the Bible says this, Paul was telling Timothy, he said, God has not given you a spirit of fear like that. So whenever you feel fear, you're like, maybe that's God. It's not God. God doesn't operate with fear. God operates with faith. Does that make sense? So like whenever you feel motivated by fear, unless it's the fear of God, it is not from God. Are you hearing me so far? And so that stuff doesn't come from God. And God wants you to be free from fear. The most quoted and rephrased and respoken phrase in all of the Bible is the words fear not. Now, what does that tell you? If the Bible has to take the phrase fear not and repeat it 200 and something times, what does that kind of tell you about people? We're fearful. We're afraid. God wants us to be free from our fears because again, whenever we live out of our fear, make decisions out of our fear, we always end up with negative consequences. So God wants to do something to end you today and free you from those fears. Everybody say, all right. Um, again, if you haven't been here, go catch up with the series. But today we're going to look at a story that I think is fascinating. It is a story that really deals with all kinds of different fears. It, it, how many, let's, let's just be honest, we'll have a moment. How many of you fear, this might be for the people that consider them control freaks, how many of you kind of fear being out of control? Like that unnerved, just the thought, fear of being, how many about the fear of loss? You ever just think about, God, what if I lose this? What if this happens to my kids? Or what if, what, you know, sometimes the losing our health or losing our job? Or what about the economy? And so we're always the fear of loss. How many just went about, you fear death? Like death is, none of y'all? Okay, let's. <clears throat> Liars. Wait till you're faced with it. Wait, wait till you're faced with it. And so. <clears throat> Then, then come back and tell me you're, you're not. So what you find in this story that we're going to talk about today is this idea of fear. And, and really, a lot of this comes out of a fear that we probably wouldn't, re- like if I said, hey, list your top fears, this probably wouldn't come up because you don't think about it, but it's something that drives us. And, and a lot of these other fears, the loss, the all this, comes out of the, what I would call the fear of the unknown. You just don't know. And that's what makes you afraid because you don't know what's around the corner and you don't know what's coming next week. And so when certain things come up in your life and you experience the, the fear of death or you experience the fear of loss or all these things, because whenever you have loss, you have death, right? So, so some of you, like, there's a fear of losing the relationship. 
And then that drives you. Or there's a, there's a fear of giving up on that job or moving from this city or getting out of town and going here. There's all these different fears that drive us. And what, what we really, really like, let's just be honest, we like comfort, we like pain-free, and we like predictability. Can I get an amen? And the fear of the unknown takes all of that away, doesn't it? Like, but what, and so we end up with this thought and this thing, but what if? What then? What's going to happen next? And that begins to drive us. And so for some of us, it's that predictability. And, and here's this is where some of you will be in your own in your own journey. If you ever had a point in your life where you walked away from God, most likely we'll, we could trace it back to this. At some point in your walk in your journey with God, God wanted you to do something, and you basically, because of a fear of trusting God, you decided to part ways right then and there. Or you knew God was asking you to do something and you were like, I just don't know if I can do it. And so because he asked you to do something that you just felt uncomfortable with because you didn't know if you really, really trusted him, you didn't know what the outcome would be. And so therefore you just kind of stayed in your comfort zone and you stayed in that little predictable world. And so again, this happens in all kinds of different ways. So for some people, like you're in a marriage and, and for you, you think, man, if, if you want to get out of the marriage, that's your, you, I want out, I want out, I want out. Because you believe this, you believe if I stay, I'm just going to get more of the same and it's going to be hell and I'm not going to enjoy it. Life will be miserable. And I just so so at least if I leave, there's hope for something better. So you get caught in this mix or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're in a relationship and God wants you to stay and you know God wants you to stay. But again, you're just not sure if you can trust God, because if I stay in the relationship, it'll just be more of the same. And I don't know, God, that you can really turn this thing around. How do I know I can really trust you? Are you hearing me so far? For, you know, when you were dating, you might maybe felt that way. Or if you're single out there, you, you sometimes feel this way. You're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. But it's more convenient and comfortable just to stay in the relationship, even though you know God doesn't want you in that relationship. But to leave the relationship would be so torturous. But God, I don't know. And he's handsome and he's got money. And I don't know if I'll ever find another one that has a job again. And so these these thoughts just... Because it's easier to stay in the predictable world and the comfort zone and the convenient world. Like teenagers, I know you're like this because I was like this. Like, like you have a set of friends and your friends are boneheads. And, 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 and your parents are like, man, you need to get a new set of friends. And you're like, that don't even make no sense. These are the only friends I have. <laughs> there, there, there are no other friends, mom. There are no other friends, dad. So, but, so, so you know that the friends that you have are not the best friends in the world, but the thought of leaving your friends because you know that they aren't the best friends is scary. It's just easier to stay in the world of predictability and comfort because at least I know I have friends. Because if I leave them, I'll be alone every Friday night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll never get a date again. I'll never, I'll, I will be sitting at home watching reruns of Say by the Bell. It is painful. So anyway, here, here's what you need to know. At some point in your life, you're going to come to a fork in the road where you either determine I'm going to trust God or I'm just going to stay with my fear. Right? I'm just going to live in the world of predictability and comfort. And I, because I'm afraid, I'll just stay over here. I won't trust God. And here's what I need you to know, that a future of following God is completely unknown. Like you need to get that ready. Just, just swallow that bitter pill. Uh, a future of following God is completely unknown. But here's what you're going to discover by the end of the day here is that living any other way is also completely unknown. And so if, if this way is unknown and God's way is unknown, what you're going to see is we probably better just roll in the dice with God. And you'll see why here in just a second. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Daniel chapter 3. The story is fascinating. Let me set up the context. If you don't know world history, I don't want you to think that the Bible is just a bunch of stories 
and fables and myths and, and people that really didn't live or whatever. The Bible actually has a historical timeline that matches and lines up with world history. And so if you know anybody that's a world history buff, if, if they really know Jewish history, that Jewish history plays along the same timeline as all of world history. And in world history, you have certain empires that rise and fall throughout the ages. And one of those was the Assyrian Empire. And it rose and it, it basically, you know, dominated the world and that region of the world for years and years and years. And then as it died, the Babylonian empire rose up. And one of the guys that led the Babylonian, Babylonian empire was this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. We'll just call him Nebi. And so Nebi, <clears throat> he probably wouldn't appreciate that. I don't care. Nebi, you can't hurt me. Um, Nebi is a ruthless dude. I mean, we're talking about warrior, we're talking about emperor, we're talking about one of the most brutal societies. When you think about barbaric and brutal societies, that would have represented the Babylonian Empire. What they did to people, how they treated people. I mean, it was, it was again, it was a very, very tribal and barbaric time period in human history. And he was an incredible leader, an incredible warrior, and he does something that's actually kind of brilliant in some ways. What he does is, is whenever he takes over a new land, a new territory, a new nation, a new people, he takes the people and makes them slaves. What the, the kind of smart thing that he did was, or at least fascinating, you have to say at least, is this, is that he would take of that people group, he would take the smartest and the brightest people from that people group, and then he would take them to the capital city of Babylon and make them become citizens in Babylon. And he wanted to fill the capital city with the absolute smartest, brightest, best, sharpest people in all the world. And so although the Jews, when they get kind of overtaken by the, the, by the Babylonian empire, they get spread around the entire region. But a few of them, some of the best, the best, the brightest, the smartest, they go to the capital city. This is where the book of Daniel is really found. Daniel was one of those guys, but he had three dudes, three buddies. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we'll just call them Rack, Shack, and Benny. So, so Rack, Shack, and Benny are brilliant dudes, smart dudes. But in Daniel chapter 3, the way it works out is, is, that, is that he wanted to keep all of, their, all of their intellect and all of their ability, but he also wanted to integrate them into the culture. And he said, you guys can worship whoever you want to worship, but just know this, that I'm, I'm the man, you've got to worship me above all. Well, to a Jewish kid, that just don't roll real well. You know, they, they just knew that there was one true living God and that there was none next to him, beside him, or above him, not even close to him. Does that make sense? And so for them, they were like, nah, we're, we're okay. Just no. And so here's what Nebuchadnezzar did. To, to unify the worship of the city, these advisors come to him and they say, hey, look, this is what you ought to do. Build a huge statue a huge idol in your honor and your memorial, and then make these people worship it once a day. And so, you know what? We'll have this daily moment where the, the music sounds, the horn sounds, all this stuff goes off, and then all the people, no matter who they worship or what gods they serve, because you got to remember, these people were from all over the region, all over the world, is they can do whatever they want, but they've got to honor you first and foremost and above all. And again, to Shadrach and Benny, that just didn't, that didn't work out real well. So here's, here's how it goes down. Rakshak and Benny... Do not bow, do not worship, don't, don't go along with the deal. And if basically, because they're so bright, they're so capable, they were moving up the ranks. How I many know when you move up the ranks in life, sometimes people don't like you? When, you know, and so, so all the other dudes began to get jealous and they thought, well, look, these guys are getting ahead of us. We'll just get them in trouble and then we can go up the, the, the food chain and go up the ladder ourselves. So they basically report them and this is how the story begins now. So 
Daniel chapter 3, verse number 13. Furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar, that probably describes his life, by the way. Um, if you don't know anything about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was a bit of a psychopath. He's just a crazy dude. So anyway, that's, I'll leave it at that. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Rakshak and Benny. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebi said to them, Is it true that Rakshak and Benny, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the hort, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Everybody say, then what? Then what is what Nebuchadnezzar says? He's like, look, here's the deal. I'm in control. I'm the man. You're going to have to do what I say. I don't care what your God tells you to do or not to do. I'm in control here. And you've got to bow to my system. And these guys were refusing. They did not want to. And here's, here's where you and I begin to become kind of players in the story. Is that you and I have these same opportunities in life where all of a sudden loss or the unknown or the fear of death or the fear of losing control. All this stuff hits us. And this is what fear communicates to us. It says the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar says to these boys. Then what? Then who's going to save you? Because as long as you're motivated by fear, if you'll just stay with your fear, everything will be fine. Isn't that what he said? You've got to admit that Nebuchadnezzar, although he was ruthless and crazy, he actually gives these guys a second chance, doesn't he? They didn't bow. They didn't worship. And he actually says, look, 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 look. Because you're smart and you're capable and I kind of want to keep you in the kingdom. I'm going to give you a second chance here. So I'm going to play the music one more time. And I'm going to watch. And if you'll just bow, everything will be good. But if not, I'm in control of your future. I'm in control of your circumstances. And if you don't, you're going to die. So all of a sudden, the fear of death enters in, right? Like, okay, this just got real up in here. This went from like, okay, I'm not going to worship to now I'm about to die. And this is where our, basically, our, our fears kick in. Then what? And everything happens to you. So, so like, you, you, you think, this is, this is where we really make a mistake. You think that our circumstances are in control. They believed for maybe a moment that Nebuchadnezzar was in control. Was Nebuchadnezzar really in control? Well, I mean, for the moment, maybe. Or maybe a little bit. I mean, to a, to, to a certain degree. But was he really in control? This is what we're about to see. And when your life hits fear, and all of a sudden they say, well, there's going to be layoffs. Then you think, oh, my God, they're in control. The boss is in control. The company's in control. The economy's in control. Many times we get the report from the doctor, and you end up with an illness that you never heard of, and you can't pronounce you're like, now the doctor's in control, sickness is in control. Or you just look at your life and you feel out of control because of this person and what they did, what they said. And now your circumstances are in control. And then fear kicks in and you're, you're left saying the, 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 the very same thing. What then? What is going to happen next based on all these bad things that are going on? So verse number 16, let's keep reading. Rakshak and Benny replied to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Basically, what they were saying was this. Um, look, we appreciate the second chance offer, but it's not that we didn't understand. We're not dumb. We didn't. We, it's not like we didn't. We're like, oh, the music played. I totally had my Bose noise counseling headset on. I didn't hear that. Am I bad? It, it wasn't that because they didn't have those back then. Um, it, it wasn't that they didn't understand. Oh, you meant... 
when the music goes, I bow. See, I had it, I had it the other way. My, I had my bad. I, it, it was, basically what they're saying is, is we appreciate the second chance, but it's not that we didn't understand. It's that we knew that there was a fork in the road and that God said this, even though our fear said this, and we decided that we would just go with God and not be stuck with our fear. And that's what they're about to say. And what they say next is some of the most brilliant theology that comes out of any human being in the Bible. I'm telling you what they, what they, don't look ahead. What they say here is so brilliant. Now next week, I'm going to tell you, and next week may be the most important of the series. We're going to talk about what do you do when you actually have a fear of real things all around you. But today, what I need to solidify in you is what you think and what you believe as fear hits you. And what these boys believe is the blueprint for how you handle and how you overcome your fear. Listen to what they say here. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able. Everybody say able. Everybody say God is able. So this is what they believe. They believe that if you throw us into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us, at least we think, we hope uh, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Here's what they believe. They believe that God was able, that God was capable. And even if he didn't do it, that would be all right. But he's at least able. And that is enough for me. Verse 18. But even if he does not. That two statements, God is able. But even if he does not, that's your blueprint for life right there. Let's say that together. Say God is able. But even if he doesn't, come on with a little more gusto, like, like the Niners and Raiders were actually good teams, that kind of gusto. Everybody say, God is able, but even if he doesn't. God is able, but even if he doesn't. Because here's what I know about you. You've got certain circumstances that look awful. And you think, how am I going to get out of this? You look at your finances, you look at your relationship, you look at what's going on with this and this area of your life, and you think, I just don't know. And if I just, I don't know that I can trust God, because some of you are like in a job situation, and your job situation's unethical, and you know God doesn't want you to be there, but you're like, but, but how am I supposed to like walk away from a job? I don't know that I can get another one, and I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, and again, like some of you are in a relationship, and you're like, but if I trust God, and do dating God's way, then I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the outcome's actually going to be. Are, are you hearing me? And this is where we all go with our life. And this is where, it, ultimately, this, this is one of our problems. Is that what we really, really want, and the reason why we don't trust God, is because we want God to give us like an email and a blueprint and a plan of what's actually going to take place if we trust him. Isn't that what we really, really want? Like, God, I know I'm supposed to trust you, but if you would just send me a sign and you would just let me know. And so so for some of you, like I said, the, the ones that need to leave the relationship that you're in and you know God wants you out of it, you're like, but God, if you would just go ahead and show me who the next girl is or who the next guy is or how it's going to if you just show me, then I could trust you. Or God, if you could just show me what's going to go on in the future, then I'll be able to trust you. And what we really want in that whole dating scenario is not just show me who, but like, God, go and bring him into my life now. And then I'll put one on the back burner and I'll test everything out for a little bit. And we'll just, we'll massage that situation. And then I'll know, and then I'll know that I can really trust you. And so we really do. We just wish that God would show us what the future holds and what the plan is and how it's all going to work out. Then maybe we trust him. Here's the other problem we run into. There's, there's two big problems here that we run into. One is that we, want, we feel like we need to know the plan. The second one is this. 
is that we kind of forget that God's way, although kind of scary and unknown, your way is just as unknown. Let me, let me, let me put it like this. For Rackshack and Benny, if we were to talk to them, we were to say, hey, like, so, so if you just bow and worship the king, everything will be good, right? But well, I think. Are you sure, though? Well, I mean, my, that's what he said. But I mean, are you sure? Well, I mean, I think. I hope. I believe. Well, okay, well, let's just say that does work out. What, what happens next week? What happens next year? What happens? Well, I don't know. So you really don't know what your future holds either way. Well, what if you just trusted God? Well, they said they were going to kill me. But is that really going to happen? Well, I think. Probably. But do you know? Well, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, for sure. Like, for sure, for sure. So what you're telling me is that if you trust God, you don't really know. And you're saying that if you live with your fear, you don't really know. Now, here's what I would propose. Is that Nebuchadnezzar believed that he was in control, didn't he? But what we see is that he really wasn't in control. So what I'm going to do, Rackshack and Benny... What I'm going to do is trust the one that I know is in control and not just trust the one who thinks he is in control. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, let me put it in these terms. I'm going to trust the one who doesn't just hold my next few minutes or my next few moments, but I'm going to trust the one who holds all of eternity in his hands. I'm not going to trust the one who, who, who believes there's a certain amount of power and control he has. I'm going to trust the one who has absolute sovereignty and providence over everything. Because if my future is unknown either way, I might as well trust the one who loved me and died for me. Are you, are you hearing me so far here today? There's just got to be, at some point, I get in that fork in the road, and you either going to go with your fear, but that's unknown. Or you're going to go with God, and that's unknown too. I'm just telling you. And through years and years now of experience, I've never heard people say, this is just me, maybe, maybe there's a story out there. Maybe they misheard God. I don't know what the story would be. I've never heard people say, you know what? I trusted God, and it turned out to be the worst decision I ever made. I don't know that I've ever heard that testimony. Trey, have you heard that testimony? Have you heard that testimony? I just haven't heard that. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear lots of stories where I went with my fears, and man, it turned into a train wreck. I went with my fears, and it turned into a disaster. I did what I thought was best at the time. I went with what I felt would be best at the time, and it turned out to be a wreck. I've never heard the story. I was like, you know what? I remember that day. Raised my hand, said a prayer. Worst day of my life. They told me I ought to get baptized. I went baptized. Dumbest thing I ever did. Started reading the Bible. Boy, was that just, ugh. Trusted God with my life. Now look at me. I just haven't heard that story. And the reason why is because, again, when we trust the one who holds eternity in his hands, the one who is actually in control, I'm telling you, your life is headed on an upward trajectory. Your life is headed towards an abundant and a blessed life. But as long as you keep going what seems the most comfortable, what seems the most predictable, which keeps you in your little little zone of, of fear where you say, well, I don't know if I step out. I don't know if I break up. I don't know if I quit that job. I don't know if I move to this new city. I don't know. You don't know anyway. You might as well trust the one who holds all things in his hands. Amen. This is, in essence, what Jesus dealt with with Pilate. If you know the story of Jesus, um, when he was sent to be crucified, he had to go before a Roman governor who would decide on the matter. And the Roman governor thought very much like Nebuchadnezzar. And he tells Jesus these words. This is uh, John 19. He says, 
are you not speaking to me? Basically, Jesus wasn't even answering his questions. He was, I think, bored or annoyed. I don't know which one. He said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? You're like, wait a minute. You're telling me that you hold my future in your hands? You're telling me that you're in control? That's what I'm telling you. You should answer my questions because I am in control. Look at what Jesus' response is. Now, Jesus knew all things, so Jesus gives us the blueprint for how we ought to think and believe. He said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Meaning the only power you have, Nebuchadnezzar, the only power you have, Pilate, is the power that my father gave you. You believe that you're in control, and I know you want me to cower in fear and be paralyzed, but I just need you to know that you're not in control. God is in control. So let's keep reading. So in verse 19, the Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, which he already was furious. Remember, he was furious with rage earlier. Now he's just furious again. I don't know. The guy has anger issues if you read the whole story. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Rack, Shack, and Benny. And his attitude toward them changed. Wait a minute. You were already furious. Anyway. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Rackshack and Benny and then throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, which is just code for we didn't even prepare them. We just took them as they were. They were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire actually killed the soldiers who took up Rackshack and Benny. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So Rackshack and Benny fall into the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and were thrown into the fire? And they said, yep. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, this is my favorite part of the story. I'll I'll tell you why. It's not because like, oh, God, look, God saves the day. That's that's, that's not it. What I want you to get you to realize is this, is that sometimes in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your awful, awful circumstance, remember they feared, you know, they had to have a moment where they feared death, right? They were fearing loss. They were fearing the unknown. They were fearing all kinds of things, I'm certain. But they said God is able, and even if he doesn't, and that was their theology, We're going to trust God regardless of what you say, Nebuchadnezzar. We're just going with him because we trust the one who holds eternity in his hands. And so here's what I, I, there's the tension of the story. Here's what I need you to get you to see. God does not save them from the fire. They still get thrown in. Are you hearing me? What I need you to realize in life is this, is just because you trust God does not mean that you will never get burnt. Now, in this story, don't get me wrong, they're they're saved. It's incredible. I'll tell you then. But I want you to know that God doesn't just swoop in with angels and swoop in with this. And they blind. They were all blinded. And then lions came in and ate the bad guy. He wasn't. They actually get thrown into the fire. And this is the beauty of the story to me. This is the beauty and the wonder of God is that sometimes God does not save you from the fire. Sometimes he just stands there with you in the fire. And that's the beauty of God. What you need to know about God is this, is that God actually has to limit himself just so that you can exist. I don't know if you understand that on like a, on a physics level. Like God is God. And for him to actually create 
anything. He would have to almost pull himself back just to make space so that he could create a thing. And he created a universe, and he created planets, and he created a solar system. He created a, an earth that revolves around a sun, and on that earth he created water and land, and then he began to let people live, and, and he created life, and he created all these things. But even in all creation, God had to restrict himself or limit himself just so that you might have life. And I want you to know that sometimes in your circumstances, you prayed, and you said, God, I prayed, and I believed, and I thought you would heal, and I thought you would save, and I thought you would deliver, and why did this bad thing still happen? And listen, here's the reality of it. God has limited himself so that you might have life. But he does that for all of humanity. And so here's, here's my point. Because of that, sometimes your prayers don't get answered the way that you think they ought to be answered. And sometimes pain still happens. And sometimes hurt still happens. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Sometimes it means that he will deliver and save and rescue and you'll never even come close to the flames. And sometimes you'll have to endure the flames, but he'll stand there with you right in the midst of your pain. I remember feeling this way. My son... When my son was only one year old, we were at a church in San Jose. I was a pastor on staff, and, and you know, you got your first kid. And I, you know how y'all were with your first kid? You know, you just made everybody sanitize their hands before they touched your kid. And, and, then, and then now, you know, the, the third or fourth kid comes along. You're like, I don't care. Just pass them around. So that first kid, you're real, you know, you're real sensitive. You're real touchy. Oh, don't let him fall. You know, all this stuff. And so anyway, my, my, my wife was very much like, she's not here today. I can say anything I want. And so... Um, which by the way, she got whatever I got. That's because how much we love each other. So, um, please pray for her. Um, she's tore up. And when mama's tore up, the whole house is, is just, it ain't the same. It's a wreck. And so anyway, um, anyway, my, my wife is real, but she, she, you know, cause how many know, like when you have that first newborn, um, same thing with like nursery and childcare, you're like real reluctant. Like I know so many first time moms, it will be months before they drop them off in, in childcare. You know that, you know that feeling. And then, like I said, by that time, that third or fourth kid, you're like, hey, here you go. And so, <clears throat> And so she finally decides to take him to child care. She finally lets him in. And sure enough, an accident happens. There's this corner edge of a windowsill. And my son just hits it perfectly, falls so perfectly, and gets a big gash right on his forehead. Which, you know, the mom was like, oh, my baby, anyway. And so, and so you know, I, I'm, I'm doing something pastoral, I'm sure, and, and something important. And, uh, and, and so... I get the call, hey, something happened to your kid, he's been injured, you're gonna, and you're like, oh, no. And so, you know, me and my wife grab him, we jump in the vehicle, we run over to an urgent care. And, and when they're only one and they're that small, how many know they have no clue as to what's going on? I mean, they have no idea. They, they just know pain, need mommy, bottle, you know, there's some basics there going on. And, and so when your kid is only one and he's that hurt and he's got to have stitches and we take him into urgent care and the doctor's being really, really cool. But my wife is in tears because of how much pain he's in. And then, and then, you know, here's the deal because they're so not in control of themselves and so unsure they, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they wrap them into like a Velcro burrito. Because they'd move their arms and they'd flail and they squirm because that's what you do when people hurt you. And so, um, so anyway, she's like, Todd, I cannot be here. I cannot see this. You stay with him no matter what. And she leaves because she cannot see what's going on there. And I literally, I am sitting there holding his hand. I'm sitting there patting him. I'm sitting there. And you know what I'm saying over and over? It's all right. Your daddy's here. It's okay. Your daddy's here. And they have to put a shot into him and they got to do stitches and they got to do all this stuff to him. And he's just screaming and crying and he does not understand. But hopefully the only comfort I can give him is it's okay because I'm here and I'm not going to leave you. 
And I'm going to make sure that we get through this together. And I want you to know that sometimes in life, circumstances happen. Sometimes loss happens. Sometimes death happens. And the point is that it's not that God doesn't care. Sometimes these things just go on and we won't fully know the extent of why and how. And why do you pray sometimes and sometimes they get healed and sometimes they don't? Why is it that, because I'm a pastor, I go to hospital visits. And why does sometimes they live and sometimes they die? And I thought my prayers were really good both times. Like I thought I did a really good job. I don't know, but all I know is this, is that even in the midst of your fears, even in the midst, when you come to that fork in the road, you either got to go with God or you got to go with your fears. I'm telling you, God is with you regardless. Like God is present and right there with you. And if nothing more, hopefully that comforts you, the idea that, you know what, if I'll just trust him, if I'll just go, he's the one who holds all things in his hand. See, you see, when you when you feel think about the fear of death, you need to remember that it was God that raised Jesus from the dead so that these words could be spoken. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Why do you think Jesus had to rise from the dead? It was to give us the idea that, you know what, even in death, eternity is in his hands. Death does not get the final say over my situation ever. It does. So, so Jesus not only conquered sin, but he conquered death. So we don't have to be afraid anymore. So, so when it comes to being out of control and that fear of being out of control, I need, I just need you to know that even though you're out of control, God is never out of control. Are, are you hearing me this morning? Even when it comes to that fear of the unknown, but I don't know what will happen. Can I just assure you, God knows what will happen. And he has your best interest in mind anyway, if you will just Trust him. And so here's what I want to do. I want to close with this statement here. And I want you to all repeat this after me. This is a statement that if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. But I want you to say it with me. Everybody say this. Everybody say, God is able. Come on. Like I said, like if the Niners and Raiders were good. God is able. I don't know what he will do. But I know what he can do. And that's enough. One more time. God is able. I don't know what he will do. But I know what he can do. And that's enough. Let's pray this morning. God, for so many of us, Lord, there's a fork in the road where you're calling us somewhere. You're asking us to leave this, to move on from that, to change this, to do this for the very first time. And fear is gripping our heart. But God, I pray that as we face those forks in the road, that God, we would trust the one who actually is in control God, help us to be reminded that our circumstances are not in control. The doctor is not necessarily in control. Our boss is not necessarily in control. None of these things are in control. God, you are in control. And when we reach that fork in the road, help us to trust the one who not just holds the next few weeks or the next few months, but the one who holds eternity in his hands. God, help us to know that you are good and that you are kind and that you are for us. And that, God, if we'll just say yes to you, God. We can trust you. You are able. And that's enough for us, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.